Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different grape varieties, the different regions, and the history and culture of wine. In the last few episodes of this podcast, I've been revisiting the United States, uh, particularly California, because that's the most important state in the country, and also New York. In this episode, I want to look at the other states in the US, which uh, make wine but aren't as important or as well known. Uh, I'm not going to cover Washington or- and Oregon, which are the other two really important winemaking states, because I've covered those in other episodes as well. But here we're going to me- look at slightly more obscure states, such as Virginia, Texas, Idaho, Arizona, Colorado, and New Mexico, some of which you may know make wine, some of which you may not. We'll start with uh, Virginia which is just southwest of Washington, D.C., between the Appalachian Mountain Range and Chesapeake Bay. And there are now uh, nearly 300 wineries in Virginia, considering in 1979 there were just six, and in 2005 there were 90. That's quite a rise. And this um, it's true of a lot of states in the U.S., including New York, which we looked at in the previous episode. There's a long history of wine production, but it's actually quite difficult to grow grapes here, and it's only really in the last 30-40 years that um, wine production has become successful and the number of wineries has grown. Because uh, production in Virginia, or attempts at production, do go back a long way. In fact, Thomas Jefferson uh, tried to make wine in Virginia and continually failed, unfortunately. Although now, a winery called Barbersville, which started in the 1970s and re- which really kick-started the Virginia uh, wine scene, and that's located on the Thomas Jefferson's property. And so they were more successful where Thomas Jefferson had failed. But the reason John- Thomas Jefferson found it difficult, and why it's still difficult today, is the climate. So the summers are short, but they're very hot and very humid, and also quite stormy as well. So fungal diseases are an issue in Virginia. And in September, 114 millimetres of rain uh, falls on average. So that's more than Bordeaux, which is in the high 80s. Gives you an idea of how humid and how wet it is in Virginia, and that fungal diseases can be an issue. But vineyard management, as it has across the states and across the world, has become a lot better with canopy management and um, sprays as well to ensure that fungal diseases don't harm the harvest too badly. And in fact, 80% of the plantings in Virginia are now vinifera, which um, is quite a change from what it used to be, and is actually um, more than we find in New York, whose wines are a little better known. Also difficult for uh, Virginia is that the winters are cold, and in fact uh, budding doesn't happen until late April, because the winters are so cold, it takes a while for the soils to warm up and for um, the vines to, to bud and come alive again. So tricky conditions in Virginia, but the wines have got much better in quality, though I think it still varies. There are some good producers, uh, Barbersville is one, and then there are some which um, are more forgettable. So which great varieties uh, work in Virginia? Well, the state variety is Viognier, and that's uh, partly because um, the state governor at the time was a big big wine fan. In fact, there's a lot of wine tourism in Virginia, which is supported by the state. And they see that, especially with Washington, D.C., just up the road. They see that as a, a prime way of attracting tourists to the states. There has been a lot of support, and making Viognier the state grape um, is part of that. And those wines can um, be quite fresh and aromatic, maintaining their acidity, but not getting too high in alcohol. Other whites, the Chardonnay, and also a Petit Monsong has been experimented with uh, recently. As for the black varieties, uh, Nebbiolo um, is planted here. It's Barbersville who really have concentrated on Nebbiolo. And these wines can be quite powerful and big. 
uh, not quite the subtlety of Barolo or Barbaresco, but still of good quality. Cabernet Franc probably works best here. Again, thinking of Virginia having some similarities to Bordeaux, and also Petit Verdot as well um, in that category. So the Cabernet Franc and the Petit Verdot, bigger styles. So the, the heat does get um, the alcohol higher and the, and the wines are fruitier, but the short season can maintain the acidity as well. And there are seven AVAs, and Monticello is perhaps the most famous, and this is where Thomas Jefferson um, lived, and this is where Barbersville is based. Unfortunately, it's also where uh, Donald Trump's winery is based, and it has seen uh, some investment uh, from DC figures, and that's the AVA you're most likely to see on a label if you do find Virginia wine. Then other AVAs, which are much lesser known. There's Virginia's Eastern Shore, which is on Chesapeake Bay, so to the east of the state. There's the rather long-winded uh, Northern Neck George Washington birthplace, which is in Northern Virginia, and so that's ideal for attracting tourists and visitors from DC, uh, with that name as well. There's Shenandoah Valley, which is to the west of Virginia, and this is the only AVA which is on the, the western side of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Uh, this is quite difficult to access in comparison to the other AVAs, which can a short drive from DC, uh, but here you have to get over the mountains, but it is attracting interest and investment as well. There's the North Fork of Roanoke, there's the Rocky Knob, which is southwest Virginia, and then there's Middleburg, which is the newest AVA and just west of DC. So Virginia, um, a state which is changing, uh, which is started in the 1970s, um, it's modern history anyway, and it's definitely higher quality wine coming out of Virginia. Moving into uh, kind of south, southwest USA, the tr- same is true of Texas, Arizona and Colorado. So Texas, historically, is a very important state because this is where the concept of grafting rootstocks onto vinifera came from and which saved France and the rest of the world from phylloxera. And in fact, Texas has a huge um, amount of indigenous varieties, more so than anywhere else in the world, in fact. And that's why um, Texas was so important in experimenting with rootstocks and with grafting uh, because they had a lot of um, American vines to work with and um, that's been at the heart of the last 150 years of uh, planting vines. But actually um, making wine in Texas, although it goes back to the 19th century, it's only really in the 1970s uh, that it started, so again paralleling Virginia and New York. Uh, One of the wineries which uh, pioneered winemaking in Texas is now called Llano Estacado, and this was a couple of students uh, who just experimented with uh, planting vines and making wine, and just really um, pushed concepts of production in Texas. And now there are 400 wineries in Texas, so like Virginia, it's expanded quite quickly. The most important AVA is High Plains, which is about 1,200 metres high, and this is to the west of the state, bordering New Mexico. And this is flat, exposed, but the soils are deep, calcareous and fertile, and it's very sunny as well. And it's also windy, which um, prevents uh, diseases developing. So good conditions for growing grapes. And the nights are cool as well, and the winters can be cold. So overall, it's actually quite similar to Washington state, with um, most desert conditions, cool nights, warm days, sunny, but windier perhaps, and good conditions for growing grapes. And about 80% of all grapes in Texas are grown in the high plains, although most of them are actually made in hill country. So 75% of the grapes grown in high plains are shipped to hill country, which surrounds Austin. And this is the second largest AVA in the United States. It's absolutely huge. It's 3.6 million hectares in size. 
However, there's only 324 hectares planted, so um, a bit of a bizarre ratio to size to actual plantings. A lot of the wineries here are getting their grapes from the High Plains, which has better growing conditions. And as I mentioned, um, conditions like Washington in High Plains and Mediterranean and Rhone varieties are the ones that uh, growers are beginning to um, focus on, such as Roussan, Sanso and Tempranillo. Uh, within Hill Country AVA, there's also a couple of other AVAs, Fredericksburg and Bell Mountain. And then some other AVAs, there's Texas Davis Mountains and Escondido Valley to the west. And then to the north, actually going over into Oklahoma, is Texoma. If you're going to see a Texas wine, it's going to have High Plains AVA on it, most likely. And again, like Virginia, quality is getting better. It can be quite variable. I mean, you don't see these wines too much outside of the state, but maybe as the industry grows, they will begin to um, sell them elsewhere more often as, and as the wines get better as well, but generally going to be full-bodied, quite robust, quite dusty. To the west of Texas is New Mexico, which isn't particularly important. The reason that wine production is possible at all in New Mexico um, is the Rocky Mountains. And so plantings are at high elevation, going up to 2,000 meters. The only reason that New Mexico is really on the wine map is because of a producer called Gruet, who makes sparkling wine. And this was a champagne producer who decided to travel across the US looking for the perfect place to make sparkling wine. And he decided New Mexico was the place, uh, just south of Santa Fe, at that high elevation. So you have these warm days, but you have the cool nights as well. So really quite an extreme uh, continental climate. And the sparkling wine that Gruet makes is pretty good. It's not sensational, but it's perfectly serviceable. And the introductory Gruet is about 15 to $20 and does a good job at that price for sparkling wine. But they do have higher end uh, wines as well, and also vintage wines. But I've never um, actually encountered any other wine from New Mexico. Moving further west is Arizona. There are two, two AVAs in Arizona, and again, elevation is all important here, similar climate to New Mexico. And the two AVAs here are Sonita and Wilcox, which can go up to 1,500 meters. And these are both to the south, south of the state, near the Mexican border. And again, like Texas, Mediterranean Rhone varieties work best here at higher elevation. And I have tried some Arizona wine, and um, it can actually be pretty good especially when they're focusing on those Mediterranean or Rhone varieties. Only a hundred wineries here, but it'd be interesting to see how these wines develop in style and in quality. And there's also um, another region which isn't an AVA yet, which is called Verde Valley, and this is just north of Phoenix. And there's quite a few wineries um, establishing themselves here, and so this is a developing region. So we'll have to see um, how that changes um, Arizona wine. And then to the north of New Mexico is Colorado, where there are 150 wineries. And again, the Rockies are all important here. And the wineries um, are mostly located um, to the west of Denver. And there are a couple of AVAs there. There's Grand Valley AVA, which is 1,200 meters in elevation. And then there's West Elks AVA, which is 2,100 meters in elevation. So just showing how important elevation is to Colorado, as, as with these other states. And Riesling works uh, surprisingly well here made in dry, off-dry styles with fresh acidity because you've got warm days and cool nights. And also Cabernet Sauvignon and Syrah can be good as well. Again, small amount of production, lots of experimentation. So these are states which are just learning where, where are the best places to plant grapes and how best to make wine. And just connected to these states is Southern California, which I did not mention in uh, my California episodes because it's not uh, particularly important. The AVA here is Temucula, 
which is south of Los Angeles, and it really is based for LA tourists. Um, I live in Northern California, and I've never seen a wine from Temucula, so they don't really get out of the region. I've spoken to um, visitors from Los Angeles and the region, and they like to visit it. It's beautiful, but they don't get that excited about the wines. But that is influenced by the ocean, like all the quality um, California re regions, so it doesn't actually get hotter than Napa Valley during the day, even though um, it's almost a subtropical climate. So it'd be interesting to try some wine from Temucula one day. And then going to a very different climate is Idaho, which borders Oregon and Washington, and it has a lot of similarities with the climate of Washington State and also of Eastern Oregon. Remembering that uh, Western Oregon, where Willamette Valley is, is very different from Eastern Oregon, which is more connected to Washington State with um, Walla Walla Valley, for example, overlapping Oregon and Washington. And Idaho, um, the main region is Snake River Valley, which does overlap with Oregon. And this has a continental climate, altitude of up to 900 meters. And it is like Washington, uh, but, but a bit more extreme. So it gets hotter during the day and cooler at night. And the growing season is shorter as well, because it's further south than Washington. But it does produce similar styles of wine. Uh, Chardonnay, Riesling with high acidity, Cabernet, Sauvignon, Merlot, and Syrah. And the defining factor of Idaho wines is that they have high acidity because of the cool nights and the short growing season. Grapes have high sugar, so there's quite a bit of body to the wines as well because of the hot days. So it's quite an unusual combination and something that growers have to be careful with, that there's a balance when they pick the grapes. That's why the Riesling can be made in all sorts of styles from dry all the way to um, sweet because you can get that ripeness while maintaining the high acidity. And grape growing in Idaho has become a little bit easier because of global warming, because winters aren't as extreme as they used to be. And they in the 70s, they could be, and 80s, they could be quite damaging. But now um, it's a more balanced climate, which is helping growing. And also, um, quality in Idaho has increased because of better vineyard practices, um, lower yields, the use of drip irrigation, open canopies, and planting on warmer sites as well to get those grapes ripe and that balance of acidity and sugar. Now, the biggest winery in Idaho, and if you do find Idaho wine outside of the state, it's going to be from Saint-Chapelle most likely, which is the first winery in Idaho and also the largest, and which has quite ambitious plans to expand as well. And there's definitely um, an effort in Idaho to get their wines sold further afield because the local market is quite small. So you might find Idaho wines in Washington and Oregon, and hopefully they'll begin to expand further afield as well. Because I think there's some potential here with a similar climate to Washington State and also Eastern Oregon. A couple of other AVAs, Eagle Foothills um, is, is within Snake River Valley and is also solely within Idaho, where Snake River Valley goes into Oregon. And then also further north, Lewis Clark Valley is also solely within Idaho, though it does actually fall under the Columbia Valley AVA, which covers Washington and a little bit of Oregon, and then this part of Idaho as well. So those are the other states in the US. Actually, every state makes some kind of wine, even if it's pineapple wine or blueberry wine, but and wine made all over the country. But 
The US has very, it's a very large country and has lots of different climates, some of them are quite extreme, a lot of them very difficult to produce wine from vinifera, but these states are the ones which are the most interesting and which you might find across the country and maybe even um, in, in foreign markets and which have an interesting future because knowledge of what goes on in the vineyard and how to deal with difficult climates is far greater than it was 50 years ago when producers started thinking about making wine here seriously. So definitely an interesting future for these states, and they're worth looking out for. So thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.